All right, everybody, welcome back. Uh, another episode of the Balanced Blues Brothers podcast. Today, right now, it's going to be me and Score. Ola might be hopping in. Um, we're a little unsure on that, but we're we're going to cover quite a bit that's happened since the last match review, which was our 4-1 loss to Liverpool. So since then, we've played Wolves. Uh, we've um, played Palace. We've played Villa, and we've played City. It's been a pretty positive run overall. In my opinion, um, after such a, a bad negative stretch there uh, with Liverpool and Wolves. So I think I said it in the last episode, we've kind of gone through, or at least I've said it on this podcast. We've gone through this cycle of steps forward, steps backwards, stabilize, get a step forward, get a step backward, and just repeating again and again and again. And I think that, you know, maybe that's what we're doing right now. Right. Because we've seen enough now that, you know, we, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves when we do see some good things because we've seen them preceded by uh, or followed by poor things. Right. Uh, in, in future matches. So and part of that could be, you know, the squad dynamics, things that this, that and the other. But I, I think that one of the key things that's happened and this happened after Wolves, I believe, I believe it was the Wolves match. Um, but there was this really uh, factual tweet put out by uh, an influential player's wife that something has to change um, or it's going to be too late. And you know what? It has changed. We've been looking a hell of a lot better without that guy on the field. And I know a lot of people are going to disagree with me, but literally go look at the data with and without. And if you can't figure it out, it's Thiago Silva. So I think this is a big part of why we're improving. Look at DeSassi when he didn't have to sit there and worry about Grandpa on the field with him, right? The guy looks like a monster on the field. And and everybody that's listening to me, it's going to be very easy to interpret what I'm saying because I, I kind of have more of a sarcastic nature anyway as slander against Thiago Silva, but it's not. It's just – this is just father time winning out. Everybody loses to father time. It remains undefeated for a reason. Our greatest ever player, John, John Terry, at least my opinion, that he's our best ever player – um, had the same process, right, with Antonio Conte in our, in our title-winning season. And you know what Terry did? He had the self-awareness to say, I, I'm not who I used to be, and I can do more good for this club by being a mentor to the guys on the field and really setting the tone and training and letting everybody that comes through the door know what Chelsea is. Uh, and he talked about how even though John Terry wasn't playing, he had a huge influence on that title win behind the scenes mentoring players offering leadership being an example trading hard you know offering advice you know being good in the dressing room during games like everything he was really really important one of the reasons that uh, Antonio Conte wanted to sign Virgil van Dijk was because he wanted someone to replicate that like the leadership the you know the professionalism the yeah Captaincy, which he, like he's he done nothing but that at Liverpool. Exactly, that's right. That's why he wanted him. And uh, but but yeah, John Terry may not have played in that title win much, but he was a huge part of it. Like like Drogba was in 2015. He didn't play much, you know, under in that in that scene we won the title under Mourinho, but he was in the dressing room and he was on the he was on the training ground. He was setting an example, being a leader. He scored some massive goals too. He had the only yeah, goal for us at the draw away to Man, uh, Man United. I remember that one pretty well. Yeah, exactly. Stuff like that. So those kind of players are really important, you know. And Thiago Silva could be that if he wanted to be. Like he's got so much experience. He's been a captain. He's been a leader. He's won almost everything in the game. He's got a wealth of experience to offer. Like instead of, you know, complaining about not playing, how about? saying, I can influence this team more strongly from behind the scenes and help them become winners. Yep. You know, and that's a really, like, he would get so much credit for that. You know, John Terry still gets loads of credit for what he did that Conte season. It's like, you know, people talk about John Terry having an ego. Well, that season proved he didn't, like, because I, he yeah. cared more about I, Chelsea winning the title than he did about him playing in the Chelsea team. And an egotistical person would not have the self-awareness to realize how they can make better effects on the team by stepping backwards and making indirect progress on other players, right? But a more egotistical person would be, you know, almost 40 years old and say, I am still the best player out here, right? That That's 
And, and again, I don't want to slander the guy, but it it's gotten to the point where it is so obvious. And and we have all on this podcast had the constant drumbeat that, okay, he's a good individual, but it's not about what the individual does. It's about the effect the individual has on the other 10 people. And that's the problem. And I think that we really saw in this last run of matches where look at how our press works higher up the field. Look at how our defensive line works playing a higher line. Look at how everybody reacts in zones. They're not always checking over their shoulder. When we concede, they don't have one guy throwing his hands up in the air and screaming at everybody. You know, it's just these are the things that leaders don't do. And that's why I think it's been so overstated. And I want to thank Silva for everything he's done. But it's the to me, it's apparently obvious now that the phase out has already begun. And Pochettino may be real. And, and part of this is through injury as well. But I think that the phase out has started. And it's helping not just our back line, but it's helping our forward line because of how we're able to actually play as a team, right? And I talked about this, and I know Jordan has talked a lot about it on here, although he, he hasn't been on the podcast for several months now. Um, it, he, we, we've kind of all had this idea that, like, look, in the tactical way, when you play him, you can't play as a high line. When we build in this 2-3-5 shape, it leaves him alone and isolated, and it leaves somebody else having to try to cover for him, yet cover their own man. So I I think that what you pretty much said is, is where things need to trend rest of season for Silva, and I think that it's been a big part of our turnaround uh, lately is just simply the, the, the effect that it has. And what's also another effect that I think that we saw that was crucial this team is so much better when we're playing Levi Colwell at actual center back who would have thought than playing him at left back. Right. And, and I think that's another big thing because our defense has been a key problem all season. And we also allow a lot of shots. I think that's a little more on the midfield side of things than it is the defense necessarily. Yeah. But, yeah. He, he is a center back. That's his position. Yeah. And we've seen how good he is in that position already. And, you know, uh, I mean, actually I was just looking at the Crystal Palace game Tiago Silva started that game. In the first half, we had all loads of possession, didn't we? And we had one shot, right? Pretty slow, pretty, right? Tiago Silva yep. came off in the 61st minute for Levi Colwell, right? We, it was 1-1, I think, at the time he came off. And we won, what, 3-1, didn't we, in the end? Um, I mean, like, I don't know whether that affected how we played or our ability to get forward more, but I wouldn't be surprised. Right. And again, I don't think anyone just I don't think there's any Chelsea fan who doesn't respect Thiago Silva's contribution to the game overall. A hundred percent. hundred percent. He is but, a legend of the game. Like he's one of the best centre backs there's ever been. He's been you know, he was brilliant. He's been brilliant for Chelsea, you know, yeah. a lot a lot it, for a lot of years. And it's and fine. Like all of our best good. players phase out at some point or yeah, another. And like, yeah, exactly. Like I don't say these things because I hate Thiago Silva. I've got a kit hanging up in my closet right now of him, but I care about Chelsea Football Club a hell of a lot more than I care about Thiago Silva. And I, I, I hate to say this, but I think a lot of people have this inability to separate the past, right? They want to look at what somebody did in the past and apply it to the future in the present tense. And that's just not, first off, that's illogical, right? Because the past is the past for a reason. Time has expired. Therefore, things have changed as time expires. And moves forward. So I just don't, I don't I'm not going to sit here and let my emotional sentiment for what somebody has been the last 20 years dictate my opinion of what they are right now on February 19th, 2024. That's, that's not how you evaluate when you're looking forward. And you can handle these guys respectfully, but we also have to do what's best for the club and best for the team. And it's clear that that individual now is not that. And, and, you know, I, I know this has been a lot of uh, anti-Silva stuff to start, but again, it's not. This isn't anti-Silva. This is pro-Chelsea. That's what I'm talking right that's now. I'm it. not. That's it. What's the best? Thing? That's what I always say. I mean, that's what I said about about managers as well. Like you know, I I, I just want what's best for Chelsea Football Club. Exactly. Yeah. If that means Pochettino staying as manager into next season, great. I don't mind as long as we're winning, we're playing good football, we're progressing as a team, we're moving forward. Fine. I don't have. I don't, my whole value or identity doesn't attach to this person has to go, this person has to, has to come in, blow up. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in what is good for Chelsea. And that's players and managers. And when you stop emotionally attaching yourself to players and managers and putting them above the club, 
it becomes much easier. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I have emotional attachments to to Jose Mourinho and Frank Lampard and people like John Terry, people like that. But even then, I'm not in the kind of bring back Mourinho kind of thing. You know, like yeah. I know that that's probably not a, not a wise thing. Yeah, Frank Lampard, like he's he's my football hero. Like I'm not, I don't feel any shame about saying that. Like it's my favorite, my favorite Chelsea player, my favorite footballer. Like I, um, yeah. And uh, and like one of my best times when he was manager, the first nineteen season twenty nineteen twenty 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 was a was a great season. Yeah, it was a it was a blast as a fan. <laughs> it was. It was. Up. I mean, we made, we made progress that season. You know, we got to a cup final. We finished top four. We have a lot of young players who got debuts. A lot of young players who developed and improved. It looked like something was being built, and then you know things happen and. Now, Frank wasn't allowed the players that he wanted to get, which would have been the likes of Declan Rice and G. Bullingham and Erling Haaland and, you know, um, but, you know, that's life. Um, yeah, if, if only they would have listened. I mean, I know yeah. maybe that he was trying to exert power he maybe didn't have at that time as a manager, yeah, but, you know, yeah. that was a whole other... We tr- That was a whole other regime, though. I mean, that was just kind of the... Absolutely, I mean, on time, but... If yeah, you, I mean, yeah. Post two thousand twelve, our way of rewarding a manager for winning was you just go do it again with the same shit you have, and I mean that was yeah, a lot of our our directors' fault directly. I mean, they I would just understand. subvert managers' wishes and get the cheapo, the great value options, you know, the Walmart brand instead of the premium, and that's what yeah. we. And what did it do? It got those guys fired because a it sets off you know this rift between manager and squad and club. And that just furthers as results go downhill. And then it just makes the manager feel more and more emboldened that I knew I was right. And you guys are idiots for not listening to me. And yeah, because I mean, Jose Mourinho wanted to sign Paul Pogba and yep, John Stones in 2015. And we didn't sign either of them. Um, Antonio Conte wanted to sign uh, Romelu Lukaku and Virgil van Dijk. After- he wanted uh, Vidal as well for midfield. Yeah, which... You know, you and Alexandro at wing back; those were the big four that he wanted. Oh, yeah, that's right. I mean, say you got all of those players, that the next season might have been completely different. You know. Um, yep. But uh, but yeah, but he wasn't. That, that 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 seemed to have been a pattern. And you know, after twenty twelve, was that every time we win something big, they would be like, okay, you don't need, we don't need to buy you anything. You've already got what you what you need. Which is the complete opposite logic of what you're meant to do when you win a title. Exactly. Like, you want to buy when you're strong, like when you when you've got the most pulling power, when you've got the biggest reputation, when you've got like you know the most money because the prize money from the winning the Premier League, like and you've got obviously you've got Champions League money. Then that's when you go and that's what Man City have done. You know, yep. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, they bought Doku last summer. They bought um, I can't even remember who they bought. Like they bought Guardiola. You know, yeah. Um, who are both talented players, hugely talented players, right? They they won actually they bought Haaland after winning a Premier League title. Like yep. I mean, you know, that that's that was their Aguero replacement. Yeah, that's what you're meant to do when you're when you're dominating. That's how you keep dominating. By you buy when you're strong. Like and hopefully, I don't know what the what the current owners are gonna be like when we have success, but I don't think they're gonna be the kind of right, you've got everything you need, we're not gonna give you anything. Um, I think they're smarter than that. Um, yeah. But um, it might be smart, smart signings, I suggest. But it was they'll still make good signings. I mean, like the most of the players we've signed are talented players. I don't. There's not many duds. Like we haven't had many like Drinkwaters, Bakayoko's, Zappacostas kind of kind of level of player. You know. But um, we'll see what happens. You know, if we have some success. Um, which we could have this time next week. So that would be great if we could win the League Cup. So, um, but yeah, I mean, like coming back to like our, the last three games, I've been like something, something, something felt has felt different in the last three games. Yeah, um, it like, did to me as well. Like, I can't explain it. It's an intangible thing. It's not a tactical thing. It's not a, it's just something you felt like something has shifted in the psychology of the team, in the, it- and the mentality of the team, like the collectiveness. like I, I think a key point to that is, uh, you know, we knew that going into that Villa match in the Cup, uh, FA Cup replay, so it was a way to Villa. Yeah. Really good team. Yeah, they're a full-strength team out. 
I think in years past, because we knew as fans and the media and the club, it seemed like it was a do or die moment for our manager. And had we lost, he would have been, it, it, had we lost, he would have been out the door probably. And mm. I think in years past, there was the culture of, we know we can get this guy out, so we'll do it with our players. I think that was a real thing. And it, it and it's not a, it's not a secret, right? It's not a secret. Go listen to Mikel's podcast and all the old guard talk about it, how they would down tools for managers when they were tired of them. And I yep. love the old guard. But it's the truth. That's what they did. They they openly admit it on recorded podcasts. And the, the, the thing about that is once that starts, when you're a new player and you're brought in, that's the culture that you, over time, become. You learn it and become that culture because you're just around it for so long. And the reason I say that is in, in, in psych, there's this phenomenon that the longer you wear a metaphorical hat, like in, in a classical example, is like military drill sergeant the more you become what you expect the role to be and you become less of yourself. Right. So, and I think that's what happens when people come into that culture, they see it, they go through it once and then they realize, Oh, this is the way it is around here. Right. When I'm not playing well, I can down tools and the, and we can get this guy gone and get a new guy in. And sometimes it works, but the key thing is even if it works in the short term, it's always an unsustainable long-term answer. But I think that you're right. There was a difference in the intangibles because I felt that under the old ownership, right, where this was really, really common with the groups of players we had, and maybe that's part of the reason why the owners chucked everybody pretty much out of the players. We want to reset and get rid of all this negativity from the past. I think that had we still had that culture against Villa away in a cup replay, we would have gotten – we would have laid down and gotten rolled over – Potch would have been out the door. The instability increases, and we get more circus continues banners right outside the stadium. Yeah, yeah. you know. But what that didn't happen. The team came out and played one of their best performances in months. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, absolutely. That is exactly what happened. Yeah, they they. Yeah, it was it was one of the it was just uh, it was a performance. I think there was an element of like almost they didn't realize they were capable of that. Like, yep, because we got, we went up like two nil in the first 50, twenty minutes, and it, yeah. even as a fan, I was like, "Is this actually yeah. happening?" Like, yeah, I couldn't believe it. I was like, "Yeah, this is really, really good." Like, actually, a competitive. We're playing against a full strength Aston Villa team who are in the top four, playing well. We won their last game before we played them five nil, and we're we're out playing them, and we're two nil up. Like, and we continued it over the whole game. Like, and I remember when the Enzo Fernandez free kick, he lined it up. I. I thought he was going to take it on. I thought he'd take it. I was hoping it was going in, but I didn't think it actually would. When that went in, I just went nuts because I was like, "Oh my god, we've actually yeah. we're actually going to win this!" Like, you know, we're and we're actually outplaying them like over a whole game. And it was, I think that was a a big moment because I think it gave them confidence in themselves and what they're capable of. I think also it was a kind of because the, before that game, there'd been so much stuff in. The media, like you know, the old, the old, the same old people coming out, the athletic, other people, like all, the, all this is going on behind the scenes. This is going on behind the scenes. This is going on behind the scenes. Like maybe even they're thinking, like, oh, this is going to be same old Chelsea. They're going to, they're about to sack him. So let's get all these stories out, you know, because that will make sure that they get sacked. And yep. it had the opposite effect because I think what it did is like it gave the the squad like an us against the world mentality, like. And that's you know, what like, our you know Mourinho was infamous. At the siege yeah. mentality, that was a big yeah. part of That's his management. Yeah. And because they, I think part of that is Pochettino, because there's a lot of stories that most of the players are behind him and support him and like working with him. And I think that was part of it as well. Um, no, it, I guess it depends upon your source, but I'll just leave it there. Some people are saying that some players don't like him. Some players, you know, I mean, but, but they don't try in training and you know this that. Yeah, and the other. And it's like, mm, yeah, I mean, like it didn't look like that in that game. um, and it hasn't looked like that in any of the games since so (laughs) um, and the body language has been very very tangible especially in the city game which we'll get to oh yeah yeah but but like they it happened in that game and then then the palace game went one nil down and again we didn't capitulate we didn't just let them let them win the game second half we came out we came out uh, for most of the second half without Thiago. We scored very early on in the second very half. Very early on, yeah. And then we 
we kept going. And eventually we, we, we kept going right to the end. We didn't give up. We didn't get like, oh, we're never going to get anything out of this game. We'll just give up. We'll take a draw. No, they went to the last minute and they got second goal and the third goal and they won and the game. Some people weirdly are looking at that as a negative, that it took us that long to beat Crystal Palace. But I'm like, no, I, I think, and, and that's what we were saying pre-recording, is I think that a key thing is you can look at the nature of the performance and try to look for the perfect performance. And if it's not that, have criticisms. Okay, that's fine. I understand the idea of critique things to always improve. But I think that sometimes the, the, the performance is less important than the actual result. And many times that's the case. No one's going to remember that you played the perfect game and won 7 0, right? No, at the end of the year, you're going to remember where did you finish and how did the team perform overall? Keyword overall, right? Yeah. So, and when you when you zoom too far in looking for only positives or only negatives, right? You're you're just wanting to paint it one way or the other. That's where you can maybe look forget some of the like overarching things. And I think that what we you know I'll get to it, which is what we said pre-recording, which is that I think that's why that Crystal Palace win was so important because we were away from home against a team that had their backs against the wall with their manager right up against the wall in terms of his job, and we go down one nil early. Right. That is we have a younger team in terms of experience, age, not so much experience, more so. Um, so we kind of have an inexperienced team. We go down one nil on, on, you know, away from home. That's a tough against a, you know another London club. That's not the best environment to be in. But what did our team do? They played one of the worst first halves I've seen in quite a while. But they came out in the second half. And they undid all that bad. And I don't care if it took us to grind out until the 88th minute or whatever it was to win. I don't care because what I see, I see the result there and how we got it, which was this gritty, determined, just keep going until the end, which is what City just did against us and everybody praises them for it, right? But then we do the same thing against a different team and we don't get the same praise, right? Oh, we struggled against Palace. It's not good enough. It's got to improve. It took us too long to break this team, this, that, and the other. Well, my thing is I see a young team that was able to show determination, was able to stick to the second half game plan adjustments and just continue to go and continue to try to get that. And we did get it. And I yeah. think sometimes you got to look at results that are like that because I can point to one result specifically in a title-winning season. Uh, it was Mourinho's second season here, the 14-15 season we won the title. Everton away, 89th minute, minute, William won the game. It was a really, really difficult game for us, but we kept going until the very end. Those are the types of performances that they don't look great when you really analyze them, but it's about the psychology of what happens after that performance, after that result. And I think that's the most important thing because as a player, if you sit there and have to grind out to the very, very end of a match and you eventually do get the winner, it feels, it, it feels like the most... I mean, even even me playing, what I don't really play much anymore. Too many injuries, but it, it always when you come that when you have that scenario and you, you come back from a losing situation and get a win, it feels amazing. Especially when you get it right near the death, it feels great. So I yeah, think I mean, that's what with the well, Palace match was the biggest thing for me. And Ola just hopped in on here uh, with us as well. We're kind of talking the summary of the last several matches from from Villa away up until City away. Um, and I, I mean, overall, like we're kind of seeing, we're seeing reason to be cautiously optimistic that this isn't just a stabilizing phase and maybe this is a step forward. Um, Ola, sort of what have you been seeing in the last few weeks? Um, you know, we, we kind of made our way from, uh, Villa, uh, and now kind of on the palace match itself. Yeah. Uh, the one thing I've been seeing is Pochettino playing Nicholas Jackson at, at left wing and Kopama at center forward. And he did it against Villa and against Palace. And we won both games. And I guess now would be a good time to point out that correlation is not always equal to position. But I I think it's counterproductive. And that's a thing with Pochettino this season. He does a lot of things that in practice work opposite of what he thinks it's supposed to work. I don't I also don't know what he thinks it's supposed to work, how he thinks it's supposed to work, because Kopama should not be on the end of 
should not be the one receiving passes in the box when Nicholas Jackson is on the pitch. I understand trying to do that when uh, the team is injury and ravaged and there's no one to play center for Jackson was away at AFCON. I understand all that. But I, I just think it's too much. He's trying to overcomplicate the game when you when you play the the the, the best creator in the team at center forward and play the center forward at left wing. But we did very well in those games. Uh, I don't think it is not associated with Silver not starting. I think Silver not starting had quite a bit to do with them. I don't think Silver and yeah, we we both uh, said Silver not playing is a positive at this point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean. Uh, I, I wouldn't say Silva not starting would mean that we begin to win games and move up the table because it's not that simple. But at this stage of the game, it should not be, it should not take too many words to explain why a 39 year old should not be starting for a, a, a club like Chelsea. Every legend of the game, since we're going down the legend route, every legend of the game has called it quits at some point. And almost all of them called it quits before 39 years of age. John Terry was given a, a, a guard of honor at 35 years of age. He was subbed off in the 26th minute. We had to discuss with Sunderland. I, I forget who the team was. I think it was Sunderland. We discussed with them that in the 26th minute, we'll sub him off, we'll give him a guard of honor. He leaves the game, he leaves Chelsea. And he hangs up his boots. Why can't? Why is it difficult for many fans to understand why thirty nine is probably the time to do it? Since we didn't do it at thirty six or thirty seven, thirty nine is probably the time to do it. It's not. No one is disrespecting him. There is no criticism that has been leveled at Silva that is not football related, and there is no reason for him to start that has been made that is football related. None. People talk about how he has been. He's, he's a legend of the game. Some people talk about his leadership. His leadership is not going to make his lack of physicality a non-factor. Him being two steps ahead of other players is not going to make his lack of physicality, of physicality a non-factor. Because eventually, it becomes a foot race. And when it becomes a foot race, players will, will, will run past you and you won't be able to keep up. And this is not... This is, is also including the fact that at 35 years of age, Silva could not keep up with players. I remember the West Brom game, Matheus Pereira, ran past Silva. Silva tried to control the ball, miscontrolled it. Pereira was away. Silva was on the floor looking at him because he couldn't keep up. And that was four years ago. So when we're saying Silva should be left out of the side, we're not saying Chelsea win the league without Silva on the side. No, but he solved some problems. Because him starting every game causes some problems. There are many problems that Chelsea has. All, all the problems Chelsea has are not going to be solved by Silver uh, not starting. But he solved some problems. And we saw those against um, against Villa and against um, Palace. As for the City game, I would say we were resilient. I don't know if we were good defensively, but I would say we were resilient. And there's something to be said about resilience. I think games don't always go your way, even if you get your tactics right. You could do your tactics and get to the match and the other team just outplays you. It's difficult to control and to keep City from having the ball. It's very difficult to keep City from taking shots at your goal. So in that regard, we got to the match. They outplayed us. We were resilient. We countered. They took a lot of shots. We took some shots. We got the chances that we could get. We finished some of our chances. And we left there with a point. I think there's something to be said about that. But I don't particularly think the City game was a step in the right direction. I think if we continue to not start Silva, that's a step in the right direction. But if every time Silva doesn't play, we are able to manage defensively and we play well and we build up better. And then the next game that Silva is fit, he starts again and things go back to the way they were. I don't think we're getting anywhere. So I think uh, if Pochettino continues to bend Silva, even when he's fit, 
assuming he's injured now, we would know that he has finally seen that there are, he doesn't need to make things difficult for himself by continuing to start by continuing to start um, um silver. So uh yeah. those are my thoughts from those games. But um I think I still need to see more games to know if we're actually turning the corner. But from what I've seen, I think we just might continue to do this defensive shakiness and scoring some goals and finishing the, the season with as many goals scored as uh, I'm considered. I hope not. Yeah, I uh, I definitely share the, the kind of tactical concerns for sure. But there's definitely areas of improvement tactically that we need to make for sure and defensively, definitely. Um, and you're right. I think we all agree that you know, Silver needs to not be starting again. Um, 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 the thing I want to point out about the Man City game, um, I felt something watching that game I hadn't felt for years, literally years, and that was pride. Um, I was proud to be a Chelsea fan. I was proud to have those players representing me. Um, I could see, I could see like the character, the mentality, the spirit. Didn't it remind you in some ways of the the past teams where we would just sit back and yeah. say, "All right, yeah. we'll soak the pressure up and beat you." Yeah, and then celebrating every every clearance, every tackle, you know, every every time they didn't score, all of that, you know, back slapping each other, all of that, um, the collective celebration at the end, the everything. It was like whatever whatever the tactics to to have a winning team. You need to have character. You need to have mentality. You need to have good team spirit. You need to have a good collective group. You need to have a good culture, right? And uh, and it looks like, and honestly, that's what I wanted from Pochettino more than anything else. I didn't expect Pochettino to be a tactical genius, uh, and he's not. But I did. I did hope that he could improve the culture and like re- build team spirit and you know build a collective, you know, um, atmosphere with the players. And it looks like that's happening. They're developing character and belief and mentality, and they actually they haven't got belief in themselves now. I think that's growing, and that's really really important. Well, you can bring in another manager to do sort sort them out tactically, but if you've got that foundation of character, spirit, belief, you know, um, a collective, um, people fighting for each other in the shirt, that that's a great foundation for any team going forward. Um, and if that's all that Pochettino does. That's that that would still be a great legacy to leave for whoever comes in after him. Um so that's why I felt good after that game. And like I, I believe in this team a bit now. Like like, he, like, like everyone said, with this tactical work we need to do, there are concerns, there are questions. But in terms of the character, um I'm beginning to believe in this team. So yeah. Um yeah, um Pavis. Yeah, I think that and I think that's what we'll kind of talk about with this kind of summarizing what's happened against City. But yeah, I think the same thing. I definitely felt watching the match. Um, it was the first time I, I felt that it was reminiscent of Chelsea. What I really felt from this club, apart from maybe like the the you know one part nineteen twenty season, uh, as well as you know maybe a few moments here and there with Tuchel when he took over uh, initially. Um, but I don't feel that we've you know, it's hard to describe what the Chelsea idea is, what the, you know, the Chelsea experience is. Um, but I think that when I look back at him, I always think of this defensive, you know, rigidity, uh, this do, you know, d- you know, never say die attitude and, and the ability to just scrape things out until the very end. Napoli 4-1 is the best example I have as a fan in terms of knowing our backs were against the wall and we never quit. We never gave up until the very end when Ivanovic won it for us. And I felt a lot of those sentiments. I'm not saying it's the same, but I felt similar sentiments uh, against City this past weekend. I mean, yeah, so going like with the City match and it kind of had that like more characteristic feel of maybe Chelsea of the past. I think these are these are things that the stat sheet and, and so on and so forth that won't show you necessarily, um, and and they're they're kind of the unquantifiable in some ways. And right, like I'm a I mean, just you know anybody that's followed me long enough knows that I 
I enjoy analytics and statistics as much as anybody. You got a really robust profile uh, in my in my past from from doing types of modeling and things like that. Um, but you know, the, the bottom line is there's just things from a psychological perspective that are so hard to quantify. Um, the whole the whole field of you know cognitive research gets it has this problem all the time. Um, but it doesn't mean that they don't exist, right? That's that's the key thing. Just because we can't necessarily uh, uh, quantify it in in an easily readily uh, available form doesn't mean that it, it can't be quantified or it doesn't exist. Um, and I, I think that that's the key thing for me, right? Is from this city match. Look, there are a lot of negatives from the city match, and I mean, we're going to get into them. Thirty-one shots conceded, like twenty-one shots allowed inside the box. But that's the best team in the world. I think that's the key thing to remember. It's not like we're playing some scrub team that's, you know, bottom feeder or championship level. We're playing the best damn team in the world, right? Away from home. So, I, And this gets to what I was saying earlier with the Palace match. Sometimes the performance is not as important as the result. And I think that's really what's happened in the last two matches for us in the Premier League. Um, I will be honest, I think the City match just in and of itself was the most satisfied I've been as a Chelsea fan and maybe since the new ownership. There's been some big moments here and there, but that felt like one of the bigger ones. When was the last time we picked up a point at, at Man City? I, I can't even remind I can't even remember. Was it the Diego Costa season when we won the title with Conte? Was that the last time that we got a single point at City? We got we won the oh, on this season. On the Tuchel. We won there on the Tuchel. That's right, the Ziek winner. You're right, and it was in yeah. the FA Cup. But to me, that was—I actually think that's the best performance we've had there since since that contest. No, no the the, the, the winner was was in the league. Okay, I know we. Sorry, but yeah, we that. But you guys are right. That's the last time that we picked up a point or more uh, away to City, and that we was also, also we for earlier this season. Say it again. We also played 4-4 earlier this season. We did. We did at Sanford Bridge, correct. Um, yeah. But I, I I, was very, very happy with what I saw on Sunday or on Saturday, and not just for the reasons of picking up a point, but just a lot of things. I just saw a lot of things that I liked. I thought tactically, yeah, there's still some things we need to sort out, right? There's, there's some wrong decisions being made. Uh, sometimes the press in the midfield, if they bypass the basically our our – you know, upper third press that it's very easy to get through the rest of it and right in the defensive third. And those are identifiable things that are, you know, need to have some improvements, but, and, and you could argue, well, if Holland doesn't miss four sitters in a row, we lose that game uh, easily. The flip side is we missed a lot of great chances, Jackson Sterling, and then Sterling with his goal scored. And it wasn't just that there were other ones too, that we missed. So it's not like we were just, you know, sitting back, getting blown off the park. And and I know a lot of people point to, oh, well, City had so much more possession than Chelsea. It's it, it's you know really pathetic of Chelsea. The last time I the last time I checked, possession doesn't score a goal, right? So it's why I get so annoyed with the possession, just obsession with it. It doesn't score you goals. It's just a method, it's a tool, it's not the only answer. And I so, this, this, yeah, um, go ahead, score. Um, back in 20, 2013, 2014, played at Liverpool at Anfield. Anfield, Liverpool were top of the league. Uh, they were on this big winning spree. They you know, thought they were going to win the league. We had 20, I think 23% possession against them in that game. And we beat them 2 0. And we deserved to beat them 2 0. They didn't do anything in the game. They had a load of possession, did nothing with it. We defended really well. We were well organized. And we hit them on the counter attack. And we were clinical when we got our chances. We deserved to win. But we only had like 23% possession. But it didn't matter. And no, Chelsea fans didn't care. Like Mourinho didn't care. I mean, like, you know, he won the game. He got the points. And stopped Liverpool winning the title. You know, um, Chelsea fans still talk about that game now. Nobody talks about, oh, Liverpool had 70% possession, 80% possession. Nobody talks about that. Nobody cares. Everyone jokes about Gerard slipping. Everyone talks about Chelsea winning that game, everyone talks about Liverpool bottling the title. That's all they that's all they talk about now. And like possession is not like it's nice to have a lot of possession and control the game with possession. 
like I don't I'm not against that at all. But like um you can control the game without having all the possession. Like Jose Mourinho mastered that. Like he mastered the art of controlling a football match without having the ball for most of it. Like um that, that was that was part of his whole ethos was was that. Yeah, so, and like to that end, right, you always hear sometimes people say that you know, the winning the possession game is a method of defending with the ball. Okay, well, isn't conversely, can't you attack without the ball by setting up counter presses and counter attacks? Why not? I mean, and that's where that's where I think that people that just want to look at the statistics and think, okay, we were out possessed, we were out shot. That's you need to look at the reasons behind those. And we've done this in our in our podcast chat already. Like we've already talked about this that. The 31 shots conceded is not very good. You know, the 21 inside the box is not very good. Like if those things happen nine out of 10 times, we're going to lose the game. But it doesn't always happen that way. And that's why sometimes you're right. I mean, you're right, score that no one's going to remember after that match that City had 70% possession and that we only had 30. They're going to remember a 1-1 result at the end of the day and how this Chelsea team played really well and sat back all the time. And I think conversely, if you take the name Chelsea and put like, I don't know, any other, any other, you know, mid table team and they go to the Etihad and they play that exact game plan and get a point, they're going to be universally celebrated for it. But yet when we do it, we're criticized. for it. And that's, I think sometimes that that's the, maybe this is like the group think of like football Twitter and that, you know, just the obsession with perfection and, and this, that, and the other, but I, I don't know. I mean, despite what we're saying, there were still some negatives from the match. You know, uh, oh, well, what we're I'll let you get into that because I know that we talked about it in, in, in already, and I know you've got some good thoughts on on some of the negatives from the match because you know, me and Scorus sitting here talking about how positive it was, and, and I think to be balanced, we got to kind of talk some of the negatives as well. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think. <clears throat> The, I mean, I've mentioned the positive that there is not something that we can overlook. The fact that we took a point from Manchester City at the Etihad. Uh, Manchester United went to the Etihad and, and considered six goals. So, there were, we were, we were resilient. We created three big chances. We actually did our best defensively, but we did give up a lot of shots. And whatever game plan we used that was, I guess you could say Pochettino learned his lesson in the second in the second leg of that fixture because against Manchester City at Stamford Bridge, we pressed them high. We tried to win the ball back high up the pitch. We put um, players like Rodri under pressure. We put Ederson under pressure. And some Chelsea fans th- seem to think that that worked well. I don't think it worked well. I think considering four goals in any match means that whatever game plan you did was either very stupid or extremely risky. And if we had not scored four goals to balance the four goals I would consider, it would have been a, a heavy defeat. So there is that. So him taking another approach in the second leg is something that he should be credited for because it means... He saw how bad we were defensively in that game and he decided let's not be so open against Manchester City. And I guess that could be why because of how deep we sat and how we were on the defensive all game, we gave up a lot of shots. Not that many shots on target, I guess because our box was crowded. Uh, actually, Dissassi and, um, and Levi we were very good in the air. Uh, especially with clearances when, you know, City were trying to create chances. So they did well there. But with all the clearances they made, between them, they made it 26. Not 26, 25 clearances between Disassi and Kowe. We still consider 31 shots. So, I... The issue I have is giving up many shots relative to the team we're playing is something that has continued. Because against City, we give up 31 shots. City is a good team, but 31 shots is a lot. We give up 28 shots against uh, Manchester United. We gave up 28 shots against Liverpool. 
We didn't give up that many shots against Wolves, but we still considered four goals. So, exactly, averaging 21 shots over the last five matches is way too high. And this season, we've averaged about 13 point something, 12 point something shots against us in the league. And when you're only creating 13.3 shots per game or per 90, and you're giving up 12.7 or 12.8, it means you're, you're going fire for fire every game. It means on the balance of things, everything you play against is as dangerous against you as you are against them. And that's not good. There has to be some sort of control. So there is that. I understand that they are one of the best teams in the league, but I want to mention that when Manchester City faced up against Aston Villa, Villa held them to two shots. Not two shots on target. Two shots. One, two. That's all. And Villa took 22 shots against them. So it's not impossible to stifle City. Again, for Aston Villa, they had um, Una Emery, who is quite the tactician. Pochettino is not that, unfortunately. And the Chelsea manager should at least have his wits about him tactically. I'm not saying we should um, we should expect Pochettino to restrict City to two shots, but I'm saying we can do without considering 31 shots. It's not a, a, a scenario we couldn't avoid. So there is that. Giving up 23 shots in the box also means that City's shooting was bad on the day, uncharacteristically. Uh, more, more importantly, City's um, expected goals from the shots they took on target came to 0.41, and their exit was 2.69. So they were very bad shooting on the day. On another day, Haaland probably scores two against us. On another day, Rodri probably scores more than one. On another day, Phil Foden put one of those chances away. They had many chances to score. Their shooting was bad. I, I think we should be careful comforting ourselves in the fact that we, we only gave up five shots on target. That wasn't down to us. That was down to City. For our part, we gave up 23 shots in the box, and that's something that we should worry about. The possibility of conceding or the avenues which you can concede is as much a worry as the avenues in which you do concede. If, I, if, if my opposition striker gets through and go five times in a game, and plays the ball wide and has no shot on target, it still means my defenses. It still means I was bad defensively and I got caught open. The fact that I didn't consider any goal or no shot on target does not mean that I wasn't bad defensively. That was not what happened against City, but we have to be careful how we how we look at these numbers. There's something to be said about giving up 23 shots in the box, and that's not good. And on another day, not just against City, you give another team 23 shots in the box, they get some on target, they score some goals. Against Liverpool is a perfect example. 28 shots that they took against us, about 11 of them were on target. Petrovic made like eight, seven or eight saves and we still considered four goals. And Darwinus played a penalty onto the post, which, um, which Petrovic didn't get any of. So there's, there's a lot of things to be said about the match. That's why I want to see how we do in our next match. Because I don't think there was any takeaway from the City game. I thought we gave up a lot of shots, but that's not something we need to fixate on is City. But also, it's a problem that we give up 31 shots in the game, even against City. 23 shots inside the box is also bad. But again, it's not something to fixate on. If we go to the next game, and for instance, the first indication that we've turned the corner is if Thiago Silva is fit and it doesn't start. That's where we need to start from. And then we see how we do defensively. We see how we do in build up, we see how we do going forward, and then we can reassess. Uh, th this game will, will tell us more when we add the next four or five games to it. But on its own, it doesn't really give us that much to worry about or that much to celebrate. I think going from what you said there, you know the key point. The, the key thing is that probably on on other days that you know the same thing maybe not doesn't bear out the same result. I, I think that's important. I, I think because you know I know I've talked about how how nice it was and how good a result it was and you know how it felt different and more like the past and this that and the other. And I'm going to stand by those things. That's how I felt as a fan. But I think that yeah, when you when you kind of peel behind the layers a bit more, there's still some cause for concern. But again, I think I would say. 
it's the best team in the world, right? I, I, there's no better team in the city right now. And there hasn't been for the last borderline 10 years, right? I mean, they, they've, apart from Europe, they've established a dynasty that uh, that very few have, right? Unless you look at like one one club leagues like Bundesliga, uh, well, until now, uh, and then like League Un, right? Um, uh, you know, I think that's about the only example I can think of, uh, you know, outside of those two leagues of just such a great run that a club has been on. And obviously it's instrumental all from uh, Guardiola. Um, I don't think that this team would be where they are without, without him there for so many years. But I think even though it wasn't the best when you peel back the layers, right, um, if we're smart, we'll look at that and refine plans. Because I'll be honest, what do you guys think? I'll, I'll broach this question kind of as a, maybe one of our, our last ones to wrap up the city match here. Do you think we should play this more counterattacking style more often if we can figure out a way to limit the opposition shots? Right. Because the way I see it, if we can get a 30 shot, I, we're not going to play City every damn match. So, first off, the idea that we're going to concede 30 shots, probably, yeah, it means something within the context that we're talking about and like looking at larger trends. But I also, if I'm going to put my own money on it, I'm not going to bet that, you know, we go into the average match and concede 30 shots. Now, 20 maybe, but because uh, that's literally what we're averaging right now over the last five. Um, but I think that. What I want to ask is maybe, you know, if we can solve our defensive ability, you know, our, it, I, mean, I don't even know if it's defensive. I, mean, I know I'm meandering a bit here because it, it's hard to really pin down. I think a lot of our problems with shot uh, concession is coming from midfield, the tactics and lack of organization and just the kind of bypassing the middle third press or lack thereof. Right. Um, if we think we can solve some of these issues and maybe that leads to a lower number of shots being conceded, maybe somewhere around. 10 to 15. Is this counterattacking style not the worst thing in the world? You know, and and I asked this question to a couple people and their, you know, quick response was, you know, you're not going to do this against a, a lower level team. And my, my quick response was, well, what happens to that lower level team if you make them play on the ball with possession, which they don't do? What then, right? Or how are they going to succeed? Because that's not their game, Right. So I guess, you know, I'm trying to look at like higher level stuff here than, um, you know, than just the result. Like, because to me, I think that if we adopt a bit more of a counterattacking style, you know, the last time we played that, unironically, we won the league. I don't I don't see the issue in this is what I'm trying to get at, because when you counterattack, you have less people to face on the break and you have wider spaces. There's nothing inherently wrong with this. I think I think the issue is I can argue that we already play counter-attacking system. Or rather, most of our goals and our shots and our big chances have come from counter-attack. And I think that's part of the issue. The 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 major problem is we are not much of anything as a team and, and we're playing style. We keep 60% of the ball. But we don't create that much. We, we keep 60% of the ball. We are mid-table for shot taking, mid-table for goals scored, uh, about lower mid-table for goals considered, and um, uh, just about mid-table for shots considered. Uh, a high proportion of our, of our goals have come from, of our big chances have come from uh, opposition errors and penalties. We have created 69% of our big chances have been created by our own players. So we are effectively a counter-attacking team. We are effectively a mid-table team, which is why when you were saying earlier on that any other mid-table team um, gets a point against City, we are celebrated. The point is, it's an issue that we are mid-table mid team. That's a problem. In, in, if we had spent, if we had spent um, $15 million per player and we are here now, and we're, you know, scraping a point against the top teams and getting slapped by, you know, Wolves and getting some wins against Luton and Burnley and Everton and Brighton. I guess you could say we're making some progress. But as things stand, we're, we're not really much of anything. We are pretending to be a possession-based team where we we, we create a, a, a small volume of shots, concentrated with big chances, 
That's how mid-table teams play against top teams. That's the issue. So, so effectively, what our numbers shape out to be is a mid-table counter-attacking team. Think Brentford. In most games, Brentford wants to sit back. The problem is, with this kind of centre-backs we have and the kind of players we have, but Ashley can't just give the ball away and then we will be on the defensive. He plays on the ball. Silver plays on the ball. So just by that, we'll be a possession-based team because teams will sit off us. I think we can make teams, we can force teams to play on the counter as we can force teams to play on the ball so that we can play on the counter. But we'll have to sit so deep that they have no choice but to have the ball. And when we sit that deep in the Premier League, they will take shots at you. And different teams have different shooting abilities. If a mid-table or a lower-table team, for instance, I saw what Luton did against Manchester United. I don't want to sit... I don't want to intentionally sit so deep against Luton. Because number one, it's Luton. Number two, they will just keep taking shots at our goal. And Petrovic can only make so many saves. That 20 shots a game is not something that will always happen. But if we choose to sit so deep that we force teams to come on to us so we can counter them, I think we're going to have more problems than we think. Because against, against City, for instance, we tried to sit deep. We still considered 31 shots and gave up about uh, five big chances or three big chances. Three big chances. So I, I don't know if we're actually good at sitting back because it, it requires a lot of positional discipline a lot of tactical discipline. Do we have that? Can we keep a, a, a solid shape for 15 minutes straight? Because that's how teams that are sitting back do. They maintain their shape when they, they only try to play out or not play out. They only try to move forward when they see clear spaces. Otherwise, they just clear the ball out or they just boot it off here. So what you're suggesting, I think, in effect, we already play that. We will already get better chances playing on the counter. If we actually make that a game plan now, I don't know, but I, I think it's something we do have to consider because playing on the front foot, we're not creating enough chances from there. So if if Pochettino can make the team disciplined enough to keep their shape, I guess it, we, we could we could we could try that. I just don't think it's a good idea because intentionally inviting teams onto your goal means they come closer to you and they take shots from closer ranges. And that's just not a good idea. But again, it's something that we may have to consider. Um, I think like the so the Chelsea kind of second teams in the past, you had you had managers like Jose Mourinho, you had you know Antonio Conte, who are very good tactical managers, very good at getting players to play positionally and hold those positions like Ola was talking about. Um and you got to, you've got to also be very good at winning the ball and keeping the ball when you win it. Um, so whilst there's a part of me that would love to play that way, you've got to, I'm not sure the players are quite experienced enough ready, really, or tactically ready to, to do it, much as I would love to do it. I think the way we played against Manchester City was needed for Manchester City because they're such a good attacking team. I mean, um, you know, they're, they're a great attacking team. They had Bernardo Silva on the bench. I mean, Bernardo Silva, one of the best players in the world. Um, he was on their bench, you know. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, and, uh, but yeah, and then Liverpool are one of the best, still one of the best attacking sides, you know, when they're going. You know, we've got, you know, Mohamed Salah is still a top player. You know, he's still scoring goals. He's still a threat, you know, uh, whenever they get forward. They're a threat because they break at such pace, uh, and they're difficult to defend against. So you've got to you've got to defend well against these teams uh, to get something from the game. And uh, but um, but yeah, I mean, like long term, I don't I don't think we'll end. I don't think we'll be playing a counter attacking style long term. I don't think that's what the sporting directors or the owners want. Um, I think they'd like to have a. I think what they would like to have is a possession based. High press, intense, you know, move the ball quickly, get the ball forward quickly, but control possession, control the ball, dominate the game, dominate possession, um, and 
you know, score a lot of goals. Um, that's what I think they want. That's what I believe they want. Um, what I've been hearing that they want. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I love counter-attacking football. I'm not going to lie. Um, I was just actually looking at the stats for that 3-1 win at, at the Etihad under Conte. We had 39% possession. Man City had 60% possession in that game. Uh, and, uh, you know, and we, we ended up winning 3-1, you know. Um, and it was... You know, it was it was pretty amazing um, that performance. You know, that like the, the you know it was, and the, they had fourteen shots in that game, <laughs> uh, and we had ten shots. Um, we only had four shots on target, and we scored three of them. Um, that's what happens when you have Eden Hazard and Diego Costa in your team. So, yeah, so yeah, I think we'll see what happens. I think I think we're okay at. When we're playing at home and we're playing against certain kinds of opposition that come at us, there's some things that do come at us at home. Arsenal came at us at home, right? And we took advantage of it. We went 2 0 up. You know, that that happened. We we beat uh Brighton came at us. We we beat them. You know, when teams have come at us at home, we've actually we've actually got something from the game because we've got in behind uh and got goals. But uh yeah, I mean when you're away from home against Manchester City, you've got to You've got to adapt to get something from the game. You've got to acknowledge that they are the best, one of the best sides in the world, or the best side in the world, with one of the best attacks in the world, and you've got to defend accordingly. But Ola is right that we've conceded too many, we're conceding too many shots, and the stats show that, and we need to we need to sort that out. That's that's work that Pochettino needs to do, and um, that the side needs to do. Um, my overall conclusions are in terms of, apart from like that side of it, which I think we covered a lot, the football side of it, where obviously there is a lot of improvement and things that need to be, to be worked on um, and the selection of things that make, need to be maintained even when players come back from injury. And I'm talking about Thiago Silva not playing when he's fit. I'm talking about Robert Sanchez actually as well. Um, um, so, yeah, you need to pick the players who are performing and performing well and when you're getting your good results. And they deserve to play on merit at the moment. Levi Cole deserves to start a centre-back on merit. Um, Petrovic, I think, deserves to start a goalkeeper on merit. You know, Pochettino needs to keep that meritocracy. Um, that's important. Um, but what I what I am seeing, which will, which will last, I think will last beyond Pochettino um, and hopefully for many years, will is this um, togetherness, team spirit, character, um, this desire to fight um, for the for the for the for the badge for the shirt for the fans. You know, you saw the interaction with the fans, especially after the Palace game. Um, you know, Dizarzi jumping into the crowd, <laughs> that kind of thing. You know, brilliant. I, I love that kind of thing. Um, um, you know, there is a kind of together in this building. You know, and if you just if you can get it right tactically, if you get it right from a coaching perspective, if we can add the right kind of personnel in the in key positions on the pitch, which we need to improve, then there's a lot to be then there's then there's there's definitely some hope there. But like Ola has said, there's a lot of work to do and there's a lot of improvements to make um and a lot of um decisions to be made. You know, one of those decisions is going to have to be who the manager is next season. You know, that's going to have to be a decision that's made at some point. You know, I'm not even decided, I'm not even sure who I want as the manager next season yet. Um you know and uh, you know if Pochettino wins wins the league cup and ends up getting us like sixth or seventh in the league, it's going to be hard for them to sack him. Um, um, you know, and unless he decides to walk away, which is which is possible if some of the things about behind the scenes are true. So yeah, there's a lot of things to to, to come, but like I'm I'm quietly confident, certainly in the sense of the development of the character of the team and um the spirit in the team and the belief in the team uh that is growing um and if we can see that that improvement continue and replicated on the tactical side and the coaching side um then then we then it could be really good times ahead but we'll wait and see i suppose 
Yeah, I think that we're going to have to wait and see, right? I think cautious optimism is how I would describe it. And I think I've said this several times, but I'm going to continue to say it. I think cautious optimism is the best approach for us going forward. I felt that City was a little bit more than just a stabilizing phase. I think that it was a bit of a step forward. Now, we're going to have to follow this up. If we follow this up on Sunday with a cup final win and we lift the trophy, clearly we've taken another step forward, right? And then and in the schedule, I think you guys put it here in the chat, but the next five matches are going to be, you know, the Liverpool Cup final, Weeds Cup match, Brentford, Newcastle, Arsenal. We win the cup final. We beat Leeds, which we should. Uh, we beat we, we beat Brentford and we beat Newcastle. Even if we lose that Arsenal match away, you still have to look at that run and say, okay, we did really, really well, right? That would be, what, out of eight games, one loss? It's one of our best stretches this entire season, which would show that not only we've hit stability, but we've hit several steps forward, right? And then that's, that's what we need to look at, right? We can't look at, you know, how do we get to six? I think we, we just have to look at, you know, match to match, keep taking steps forward, keep progressing. And if you do that, those long-term, how do we get to sixth goal and, you know, the, the objectives and the questions around that, they're going to take care of themselves, right? They're going to take care of themselves. So I, I think that, yeah, we, we're, we're in a, we're in a good phase for, you know, which it's hard to believe because like a month ago, we were literally, holy shit, everything is falling apart. The manager might be gone, this, that, and the other. And it's amazing what a little bit of time does. Um, so we'll see. Maybe it's more time gets us even further in the right direction. But thanks a lot, guys, for uh, hopping on uh, for this podcast today. Thanks for all the listeners uh, to continue supporting. And we look forward to bringing you the Cup Final Review uh, next weekend. Um, until then, keep the blue flag flying high, and let's see what we do on Sunday.